This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Trish. Hi, I'm Alex. We're going to talk about The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. First published in the 70s, I want to say. 73. 73? Yeah. Um, Almost as old as I am. <laughs> what's the deal with this book? The This is the middle of a series. Second second book. Second book. Well, it's, okay. it's the middle of a series in the same way that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is in the middle of a series. Kind of. The first book in the series was written in 65, mm-hmm. and uh, that was conceived as a standalone book. And That's she didn't turn too. it into a series until the 70s. That's what I read, too. And uh, But the thing is, is whenever people talk about Susan Cooper's book series called The Dark is Rising, they call it... They say the dark is rising, and uh, I was had this confirmed when I'm like, oh, oh, there was a movie. Um, I didn't even bother to send it to you guys because I l- never even thought about it. But I, I, I understand it was not very good. I've not seen it. Have you seen it, Trish? No, I saw very bad reviews of so it. I know that so the, I stayed away. I had another mission this week. <laughs> the screenwriter and the director of that movie both said in interviews about the movie that they never bothered to read the book. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, that, that kind of tells you how much you should pay attention to this movie. Yeah. The director doesn't like fantasy. He's like, I don't like fantasy stories. <laughs> it's going to work out. Things are going to work out book. great. Yeah. You should go see my movie. And everyone's like, no, we're not seeing that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. So, no. so uh, that's my, my point is like they chose to do a movie series. It, it was going to be a series. It's called The Seeker, The Dark is Rising. So they changed the the overall title of the series. Um, did the second? Yeah, they changed book. the name of the movie to The Seeker so that they could name the series The Dark Is Rising. Right, right, right. But they adapted this. Not that they paid much attention to it, apparently, but they adapted the second book. And here we are today. I haven't read the first book, uh, Alex. I presume you have. I have. Yeah. Did you read it first, or did you read? The Dark is Rising, and then go back and read the... Uh, I read it first. I mean, I got the whole set as a kid. Um, like, here's here's the thing. Okay, so you... One is Oversee Understone. Like, all right, I'll read this one. So okay. the first one reads more like sort of a Nancy Drew Hardy Boys story for oh. most of it. Cool. The bulk of the story is kids running around uh, looking for you know, functionally lost treasure. And at the very end, there's some magic stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly just kids whose parents aren't paying enough attention while they mm-hmm. run around this town. That sounds very Goonies. Have an adventure, right? Uh, it's a fun story, uh, but it's not, it doesn't grab you the same way. It's not as epic as The Dark is Rising. Uh, it was, it feels very much like she wrote it as a standalone story, which she did. Um, and she kind of backported it into this bigger mythology she was trying to create later. Uh, it's a fine story, but it, when you, if you read that and they're like, oh, well, I'll go read the next thing now. It's a very different feel. Mm-hmm. And a lot yes. of people who you start there, you might not go on to finish the story, but if you read The Dark is Rising, you go, oh, I'm going to go back and read this first one. Yeah. There are a couple references to here. It's like, oh, the grail has been found, and that's mm-hmm. really Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd never read this before. Had any anyone else besides Alex read it? Yes, I read it uh, as a kid, and when I went back through my books, I actually found I had read the uh, first through third books, 
although I couldn't remember anything from them. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up powering through the whole sequence this week. Oh, wow. Because uh, I wanted to put the Dark Rising in context. Five books yes. in a week? Yep. Five children's Trish's, books Trish, in a week. Trish is really strong. When Apparently, I just like Jenny Colvin-level reading. A lot of stuff this week. Between Christmas and New Year's, I had a lot of obligations. Yeah, no mm-hmm. doubt. Well, partly I listened to audiobooks while I was driving. Oh, that helps. Yeah, it does. But even so, this yeah. is like a seven-hour book, right? And so the other ones got to be pretty chunky too. Oh, it says seven hundred eighty-six pages. That's a big. Hey, that's a big book, right? That's twenty Overseas twenty plus Stone hours. Is pretty short. Greenwich is really short. It's only uh, let's see, it's only one hundred and thirty pages. Oh yeah, uh, and then they get longer again. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm not a series guy, but um, I think I was, I think, Trish, you made him suggested this one. But, yes. But I had read a book recently with, um, with Connor uh, that I, I think is very influenced by this book and also talks about this book quite a bit. It's um, by Edward Parnell. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But basically it's a... Um, it's a memoir of his childhood uh, reading uh, books like this and, mm-hmm. and you know, short stories by M.R. James and a little bit of American, you know, Lovecraft sort of stuff, mostly British. And then watching lots of BBC and ITV uh, and Yorkshire television adaptations of... Or even just, you know, Children of the Stones and all the, you know, great British um, TV that we occasionally would get in North America that was their sort of bread and butter for every Christmas there would be ghost story adaptations of M.R. James. And so it's a a strange book because it's a memoir of his own childhood combined Mm -hmm. with his travels uh, to the places in the U.K., where the stories are set or the, where the authors wrote them. And um, I didn't know, I hadn't read this book before, but it's, I think this book is kind of like very modeled or he's modeling his own book after a lot of what's going on in here because he goes to the landscapes. He sees birds. Birds are very important in, in this Edward Parnell book as in mm-hmm. family are bird watchers. And, you know, I've been to the UK. The most dangerous, you know, animal there is like hedgehogs, right? <laughs> you know, you know wow. wild bulls, which don't exist, right? They like they don't have big dangerous animals. So you can like go out in the forest and like there's a deer, right? Um, the occasional fox, right? Foxes, right? And, and you know, ooh, a badger. <laughs> <laughs> so Mrs. Tiggywinkle style um relationship with the landscape and bird watching uh played a big role in his family in this book um Parnell sort of talks about his father and uh the deaths in his family and uh you know people getting cancer and being in the hospital with them and and it connects it all together so it's a very powerful and very strange book because it it combines a love of literature and TV adaptations of literature generally with the British landscape and with the British landscape. landscape. And this is very much that right. Um, 
the fact that it was snowing uh, or there was snow on the ground at least uh, when this is happening, this is set at Christmas and, you know, today, New Year's, right? I thought it was incredibly appropriate. For yeah. yeah. It was around Christmas Day. Yeah, no. it's very. Especially a, snow, especially a snowy sort of season like what this we've had here This is a comfort book. I think like this is this is I can see this is a cozy kind of book mm-hmm. and I can see yeah. its tentacles in a lot of <laughs> writer writing you know tentacles is mm-hmm. probably the wrong, wrong word because well, it, even it feels very cozy because even the big threat like the dark is rising it yeah. does, it's not like world ending it's not Lovecraftian it's no. not Sauron who's going to enslave the race of men it's it's an amorphous, unspecific threat yeah, of like, just evil, but no specific, you know, not yeah, invasion. Yeah, like, not it's the impression very, that if, if they won, it would be bad, but it wouldn't yes. be like World War II bad. It would be like coal strike bad. Or yeah, it was. Cool. Your, your porridge would be cold. <laughs> well, yeah, I got the, always the idea more that it would be like always winter and never Christmas there you go. if yes, the dark exactly. one. You know, it would be gray dreariness for everyone. Forever. I I think that the the snow sequence where you know the the fires going out and the chimneys getting stuffed and everything's freezing and everybody has to go to the the manor. I, I thought, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's brilliant. This is this is why this book is cherished. And there's so much in this book that is like that. Um, I think it would have probably been a much better book for me as a kid than me as <laughs> as the kid I am mm-hmm. today because. Um, I was like, yeah, this evil, it's, it, it's really weird. Like, um, I see a lot of Neil Gaiman in here, right? Obviously Neil Gaiman would have read this book. I see mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Harry Potter, obviously. And at the end of the audiobook, I'm like, oh, I have a few minutes left. No, it's Jim Dale telling me I need to read, uh, the Harry Potter books, right? And I was yeah. like, it is exactly on the nose and the thing is is um the 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 evil in harry potter is very similar to this kind of evil but even that is like a little more um hyperbolic whereas this is very sedate and uh, i need to look up this word S-T-A-I-D. You know this word? Stayed? Stayed. Yeah. I never use this vocab. Sedate, respectable, unadventurous. So I never use this word in my vocabulary because I don't ever find a need for it. I found the need for it today because, uh, <laughs> because you know, the he goes, like, to down the street. His adventures are literally just around the neighborhood, right? They're not... Yeah. Uh, you know, and through ooh. time, that, and that through is time, yeah, and through time. But it yeah. jumped out at me that the book is clearly very British. Like it's it's deliberately, Super explicitly British. very mm-hmm. British, right? We're dealing with you know Celtic English mythology, specifically, and yeah, especially well, the later ones they go Welsh too, right? A little but, bit, yeah, right. It's interesting. It's, it's very this British. one is in Buckinghamshire, where she, uh, uh, Susan Cooper, grew up. The first They're and the third books are set in um, um, uh, Cornwall. And the fourth and fifth books are set in Wales, so mm-hmm. she gets. She keeps around making references to it being this worldwide thing, like the old, like the the brother in the Caribbean in Jamaica, the right? Yeah, right. Like it's it's this worldwide thing. Is it a worldwide thing? Because everything happens in the the south of Great Britain. Like <laughs> yes, it feels very like a local thing, and this she makes some gestures at it being worldwide, but they feel like just very perfunctory gestures, and it's all Southern Britain. Which again it's feels a again like Harry Potter. 
Yes, it does. I guess she's writing what she knows. She is. is I just writing great. Make it try and be global when it's clearly not global. Well, the thing is, is uh, uh, that's I think connected to like I don't have a strong criticism of this book because uh, you know it's just a good book. (laughs) It is. It is a very fun book. I have. I don't have any strong criticism about it. I. What I recommend I, it to a lot of people. What I think, what I think, I, what you're pointing to, and what I'm feeling about it is, is like the relationship uh, that that everyone that I guess she's promulgating with this with this character, this 11 year old boy, is uh, we are here. <laughs> Things are as they are. There is a vague sense of danger somewhere. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> and to me, like the going to the Lord's manor and nodding your head in uh, respect to some lady because she's an inheritor of an estate or whatever—that's ridiculous. Um, but very British. It is, but um, it is not. It's not fighting against it. It's accepting it and saying this is fine. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it, I, I think it, maybe if it was run r- written today, maybe it would criticize that. But it I mean, it's know. written in the yeah. 70s. I, I don't I, think I, it could be written today. Like, I mean, uh, the closer. Th- not, 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 not uncritically. Of, think about uh, thinking about how. Yeah, the series throughout is very respectful of authority, but it yes. warns you that you can be tricked by seeming authority figures who are actually evil respect um, it's respectful of everybody that's the thing right so the the butler mm-hmm. or valet or whatever he is is respectful apparently that was played by ian mcshane um in the movie um, now the <laughs> oh, thing is, well, is there's there's a weird thought well that's the thing is i, I was uh, i was thinking about um a sh- something unrelated I, I found this out after that ian mcshane was in the movie um Ian McShane was in a series, a terrific series called, um, oh. Deadwood? Uh, no, no, no. no, no. No, 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 no. No, in the UK. Kings. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's, that, I, I actually like Kings, Alex. It's weird, I, but. I like it had its points. <laughs> I never saw that one. Um, I'm not anti-Kings. <laughs> We've confused Jesse, but. Well, basically, what I'm trying to say is he was in a series in the UK um, where he played a, uh, a an auctioneer kind of character. He was an antiques guy. And um, what he would do is he would go to auctions where they have old, beautiful art objects or furniture, buy them low, and then sell them high. But it's also a mystery series. And um, one of the relationships... Uh, because he's going to these places where there's antiques, there's going to be rich people there, and a lot of the rich people are lords and ladies, and so there's people who are trying to get get close to them, marry into that, and then there's him, who's basically as low as you can get. He drives an old truck, and he doesn't have uh, any respect. But he has the skill at uh, identifying antiques uh, as being genuine or valuable. And uh, one of the relationships he has... Is this Lovejoy? The mystery it's Lovejoy. Series? That's right. That's okay. Right. So um, it, it is, it's done like a mystery series, but he's not really a detective. It's just like... It's, it's actually based on books as well by a guy named Gage. 
The books are not great, unfortunately. I looked into it. The series is amazing. Um, but that he sounds has a- charming. When he's not out for himself, he uses his skills as a con man to help the less fortunate and less sneaky. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of right. He's he's uh, he's basically a small businessman with you know he's grubbing small off of con man. It's it's kind of like it's like yeah, kind of. He's out. He's just out of prison at the beginning of the show, um, and so he's a you know a convicted felon or whatever. But he has this skill and love of antiques, and he starts a business and. Uh, and it's basically just him buying and selling stuff. And yeah, there's like little mysteries that sort of happen. But he happens to be there and find his way through them rather than um, solve them. It's it's a, kind of a strange show. The the closest I can come to explaining it to everybody who would, you know, know is basically it's like Magnum P.I. Except he's not rich, you know, driving a fancy car. And he's in the U.K., uh, which you know it makes it completely not the same, right? But well, yeah. Magnum wasn't rich either. He was yeah. He, no, but he drives. He drives a, a rich man's car, and he lives in a rich man's house. Yeah, but that doesn't make him rich. He's he's sponging off of Robin Masters. Yes, so he this has is a rich man's lifestyle, though. Yes, he has the rich the man's lifestyle, lifestyle, but not actually. Yeah, and you know, Ian McShane doesn't have a gun. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so his cars is breaking down. It's it's very strange show. Very very funny and very good. But the relationship he has with a uh rich woman who married into the baronage of the neighborhood or whatever is I'm not respectful of your title, although I doff my hat and say the things. I'm I like you as a person. And that is not the relationship we have in this book. The relationship we have to authority is um, everything's nice and they respect us and we respect them. It's it's like a, a f- bizarro world for us. Well, I mean, it's a bizarro world. Oh, and me, you. anyways. <laughs> right. But also, it's not so much authority. Like, the old, the old lady, I can't remember her name right now, but they, you know, the lady who owns the... Gray. The Gray. She doesn't have any authority. She's not, like, the count of the county who's passing judgment on sheep stealing cases right not anymore it's 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 a respect for tradition yes right? <laughs> like these are the things we do every christmas we go caroling you know we open at these the presents at this time and, house, those and she gives us the food and, something nice nice yeah, to i eat. mean that's but it's a it's a respect for tradition i think that goes through all the books it's like this is an old thing mm-hmm. done it this way and it's worth trying to keep doing things the way we have done them you know where, where possible it's not like the book is a, a rant against modernism or something. No, it's the opposite. Tradition. It's a, you know, this is the sort of sense, like, I, I listen to a lot of Mr. Jim Moon's podcasts. He, I think he's one of the best podcasters mm-hmm. ever. I just, I'm tremendously impressed by his output and quality. And he is not a rebellious sort. Right? Like, he, he is, he, he lives in England. He, he doesn't have a title. Um, He's he respects it's the same sort of stuff. Like I was thinking, oh, he he would have loved to have been on this podcast maybe if he wasn't so busy. He's uh, been in hospital for uh, surgery lately, so I <laughs> I think he'd probably too busy. And also putting out like thirty shows for Christmas. Um, the thing is, is that's uh, that uh, that is almost incomprehensible to me, right? Like it is, uh, it's a really strange thing. So. I think as a kid, I wouldn't have noticed it at all because I liked uh, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. 
which this reminds me a lot of, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. I, I, I think Cooper was definitely uh, harking back to uh, Lewis. She's definitely so. second wave fantasy, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. But, but she also fits in. So uh, there's a Neil Gaiman book. One of my faves is uh, the Graveyard Book. And uh-huh. there's a sequence in there where the kid goes underground in the graveyard to the oldest mm-hmm. grave. And in that cairn or barrow um, are three objects. One is like a knife. Another is like a cup or a bowl. <laughs> and the third one is probably a sigil that's a cross and a circle or something like that. Right? This is very much uh, what he is tapping into with that book, along with Rudyard Kipling and, you know, uh, his own wonderful... Rudyard thing. Kipling, you mean? Rudyard. Rudyard Kipling? Rudyard. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing a difference, but whatever. Um, he's a good guy. Mr. Or, Kipling. Mr. Kipling. Um, I, I rarely ever kipple. <laughs> <laughs> you kipple when you, do, when you do dick. I do. I haven't kippled in a while. Yes, we need to do more PKD, but that's a different story. Yeah, So, uh, the, but there are other books like his, uh, I think, American God series and the mm-hmm. related books are kind of like this, but taking it to the United States away, uh, you know, removing. But, but American God is not YA. Yes. Yeah. But to so, him yeah. taking himself to, you know, what, mid, mid of, middle of the United States changes the book in a in a <laughs> large degree and also having an older protagonist i mean this is a kid this is a ya book. yeah absolutely right. yeah, this is like Stanton a legit old school ya book entirely uncritical like, of what the wise old guy guy tells him and yeah. you know this book is very much a special kid has a special destiny book that's which... what i wanted to ask you about cuz that uh, i think that that's what it is but also how special is this kid other than having been born and like he doesn't seem to he's an old one he's one of these one I of guess these people I guess go through yeah. time in space you know. <laughs> right. because he's so, the seventh son of a seventh son because he's mm-hmm. the seventh son of a seventh son exactly yeah, well, yeah not, it's I mean, not there, specified. there are other seventh sons it's not like because he's a seventh son it's just yeah it's son. not specified that other old ones are that way because they are right. seventh sons of seventh sons and in fact there are some female old ones also um, the lady for example mm-hmm. oh, right mm-hmm. spoiler dude it's a joke <laughs> um, uh, at some point I want to talk about how this bit book fits into the whole series but um more about the destiny stuff you know as a kid that was fine with me now stories about special kids with special destinies are very (laughs) typical the chosen one yeah it kind of feels like that is like it is right it kind of feels like he is the chosen one he is the chosen one i he is explicitly the chosen i get that but i also think of like how how is he the chosen one I think he's the chosen one because if if we look at this chosen like, by destiny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think Susan Cooper chose him. <laughs> right. Right? And she said, Every kid is special. You're a special kid who's reading this book. I'm a special kid. I'm reading this fun book. Right? Um and and the thing is is what power does he have? He has the power to go out and feed the rabbits and and notice that the rabbits don't like him. Uh, like, that, like he has no like unlike Harry 
you know, Potter who has a scar on his forehead and and then some Hagrid shows up. Like, You're a wizard, Harry. Well, like, am I? Okay, what makes me uh, not a muggle? Um, dude, yeah, I, think- I think this is much subtler and nicer and less chosen one-y than all, the, even like, even Luke Skywalker, right? It, it's, he seems like just randomly chosen. Um, because he has no powers. What is his powers? Well, he has the power till he learns grammar. He's definitely got power. As the books go on, he becomes more powerful and he becomes less the main character because it's hard to have your main character be as powerful as he ends up being. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's his specialness is that he's receptive to the grammar, the learning, and uh, he's able to retain these powers and and wield them, um, wield the. the you know not just any person can wield these signs that he collects. He's the one who can uh, make it feels more magic. Almost, but not quite like reincarnation. Yes, um, I don't think it is, but it it has that vibe to it. It's like you are, like you've been born into this. This old power has come into you, and it's sort of going to replace you as a person. Mm-hmm. And it kind of does, right? Like it, realize he can never have the same relationship with his family again like he's mm-hmm. yeah it sad. makes him more remote from the rest of humanity he's still human but he's also other special at the end of this i didn't feel like i need to read the next book in the series which is one of the reasons i'm not a fan of series is not feeling satisfied i was fine with this ending but i also realized that this is not it, it does feel like it's in the middle of a series because of the previous stuff that's mentioned and it also feels like almost nothing happens this is just like him gathering some <laughs> some equipment for the for the, tokens right he, uh, some yeah, belt yeah, buckles he, he gets he gets he gets the magical doodads he's and uh, opposes evil saves his sister it's a very low stakes and i i i found that kind of enjoyable and i'm mm. fine with that i Fewer books and movies should be about saving the world. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I really I mean, do. I, I mean, this is a bad, bad, a bad winter where eleven-year-old steps up. Yeah, um, I, I think there's one other important theme in this book, which is about um, loyalty and betrayal and choosing what side you're on. Which mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, character, the Walker. Um, oh, Hawking. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Hawking, but you you go first. Well, uh, we we find out, you know, when when Merriman Lyon uh, takes Will back in time, that he had a servant, or actually, sorry, a liege man, which is not a servant. It's someone that pledges their loyalty to you and serves you, but as a uh, reputable person, kind of like a knight. Um, uh, not Squire. just, you know, yeah, not just uh, someone, not just, not just a hired hand, someone. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a very feudal relationship that doesn't have a good analog today. Right. Yeah. Um, so so he his presence was necessary to a spell that Merriman Lyon had cast to hide the book of Grammarie. And it's a very dangerous spell. And uh, Merriman risks uh, uh, Hawkins's life to bring the book back out in the present, and he feels betrayed by that in the past, uh, and in the centuries between when the book was hidden and when it comes out again, he has turned to the dark and given the dark his his loyalty and become a servant of that. Um, 
And so it's there's, uh, you know, he he feels like he was used, and that's why he goes to the dark side, which of course also uses him. Paul, what did you want to say? Um, I I really enjoyed the whole reveal. I mean, because we, we meet we meet Hawkins as the Walker first, this weird guy that has this sign to give to Will, and then we see Hawk in the past and then we put it all together like oh you took the slow path to the present as the walker you kind of like mostly like cursed to like bear the sign until until Wander the right the time right exactly like Kane wandering the earth. I really enjoyed that reveal like oh I see what you're doing I like that and of course of course when he falls out of the uh the um the writer's uh off the writer's horse and regrets what he did. I found that rather poignant. Yeah, it's a little, it, it might be a little schmaltzy by a lot of contained sense, but kind of like the, the fact that he regretted it. It's a nice schmaltz, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed that, like he regretted what he did, but he had to have done that for everything to have worked out. He couldn't have been the walker as a, as a legionman of uh, Merriman, uh, or, or I should say Merlin. Um, so he kind of had to, he had to go to the dark side <laughs> for the plot to, for 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 this all to work. So it's, it, there's there's a poignancy to that. It's like he had to turn evil in order to have evil to be defeated. In in, in a sense, mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's also like I think the there's a walker, there's a white rider, there's a black rider, there's the lady. This uh, is Tolkien. <laughs> Right. Talking. Well, I mean, technically, there, there's no white rider in this. There's the huntsman. The white rider shows in a different book. Yeah. It is also evil. But but the the fact that there there's a, a scary guy hiding in a bush. You know, we've seen that before. That's uh, Golem. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, we've got a lady who dispenses wisdom from her Rivendell style uh, forest. Except it's not a forest. It's a manor, right? Uh, so it feels like it's coming out of the same uh, drawer as Tolkien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's consciously read Tolkien and says, I love this. And I want to do this. She's successfully reproduced a lot of that feeling. But she's also combined it with that uh, young child aspect, which, you know, even The Hobbit is not. It's, there are no really good children in it, right? Uh, yeah. Mr. Bilbo Baggins is 50 <laughs> when the story begins. A very respectable I mean, age. The Hobbit is definitely funny, a children's funny, book, funny, but it's not a book about children. But yes. he's small right. like a child. So it's like... He's small, so we empathize with him and, you know, he goes... He's small and naive, at least at least initially, as a child. As a, as a, smoking, yeah, but... as a smoker outside of his, his mansion with his servant or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he is naive. But it, it, well, I mean, but at the beginning of the hobby, he doesn't really have a servant. He's not rich yet. You're right. No, he's True. rich. He's just um, he, we just don't well, see he's got him. his old family home. Yes, he's got his old right. family home, but he's not rich. Yet. I mean, I like he, he's in, a manorial uh, baron of some I mean, sort. I, mean, I, mean, I, I may not like. I mean, it's like the hobby. He is not employed, so he's not middle class. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, not like the Hobbit movies. But I like the the fact that you can see the visual change, like in the original Hobbit movies, the, you have a very plain. Um, candelabra, whereas versus the the beautiful stuff in the Lord of the Rings, is clearly meant as like okay, Bilbo has come up in the world since the Hobbit. Sort of thing. Yeah, he was living on his 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 uh, his ancestors' investments, and now he's brought in some new money. 
yeah, now he really is. Now he really is nouveau riche. Yes. Because, yeah, and the, the Duncan was Bank never is, super clear on the economics of the Shire. No, no. <laughs> it's the, uh, don't we don't even know what monetary it's unit they have. It's mainly farming. That's right. And pipeweed exports. You're right. Yes, um, pipeweed pipe ex- weed for export. <laughs> so the thing is, is uh, as a kid, we are not very familiar with the economy either. I, and I think of the golden time for me is like. You don't need electricity. What you need is a sidewalk, a cold beverage, and a comic book. That's all you need. Just there you go. But I had no idea, you know, like now, to me, thinking about it, like, I think the Philippines is one of my favorite countries. Why? Because Alfredo Alcala was from there, and he loved comics and drawing them. And Ernie Chua, right? It's like there's this whole global phenomenon happening to bring me great comics <laughs> on the sidewalk where I have no uh, electricity, <laughs> right? That disconnection from it is something that you have as a kid. So this kid doesn't really, you know, he's got older brothers. He's got a sister. He's got a family. He's got some rabbits that need to be fed. But he's also got an older brother who's, uh, I guess it's the eldest brother who's in the Navy, um, who's connecting the surviving brother, right? Right. Who's connecting yes. him to that, you know, global empire. Uh, his brother's there on, as a part of the Navy, right? He's on service. Um, but he doesn't know what that means as an adult. We do have to understand what that means. This book is very pleasurable. But it's not mm-hmm. very critical. And that's right. my only criticism of it. It's like, this is nice. <laughs> it's pleasurable. <laughs> um, and it does fit into that uh, set of drawers, I think, that Neil Gaiman pulls from and, um, and Tol- you know, Tolkien's pulling from. And it, I, I prefer this to uh, Harry Potter. And I, a lot of people have criticisms of uh, the author. Uh, I only read the first Harry Potter book. I found it was v- very technically good and interesting in many ways. Uh, I watched. I was forced to watch one of the uh, later movies in the series, and I'm glad I didn't love it uh, <laughs> because um, I would have to. Yeah, I would have to have you know read more of the books if I loved loved the stuff. And there's a lot of them. They got thicker and thicker as they went by. But I have the, never read nor watched a Harry Potter. So uh, I had this extraordinary experience the other day. Uh, I want to tell you about it because uh, it was part of. This is usually how it happens. I have to read something because a student's reading it. And I need to know how to answer questions and show them how to read it. Uh, in this case, it wasn't a book though. It was an. It was the movie adaptation of Twilight Second Book. What's that called? New Moon. And I. I I've never seen a Twilight movie. Okay, so that's what I was shocked about, right? So it's a it's a it's a bad movie and the ratings are low, but it's actually a great movie, very technically well done, and I think it's probably a very good adaptation. I haven't read the whole book, um, thankfully, um, and it's much better to re- watch it on screen than it is to to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to, I think it's I think shorter. Example it's two hours. Yes, I I read a little bit of the first Twilight book Uh and was shocked at how bad the writing itself. Yeah, the writing's pretty terrible. 
pretty terrible. Yeah, as, but her as themes, her Harry Potter series, I've mentioned this. Her before. themes are bad. I'm not sure on too. this thing, but but I it's found, pure. Uh, That's what I really wanted to talk about. Why, why it's so important. This Twilight thing is so pure. It's a girl likes the idea of multiple guys liking her and her needing to choose. That's what that book is about. And especially the second book and especially the second movie. So she has a, a vampire boyfriend and she has a, a friend who's a werewolf and they both have feelings for her. And now she has to choose. It's so pure that there's like no, I think all of the criticism, all of the criticism that even I would want to give to it, especially if I was forced to read more of the book, doesn't matter because it's so pure and, and good at what it's doing. Whereas I, I feel like Harry Potter, it's technically interesting because it does all the things that we see in this, but it's also very um, set piecey. And this is something I, I really dislike about uh, about those books and obviously those movies, but every scene is a set piece for a bunch of things flying around and characters coming in and relationships between like, it's, it's like a, it's much more um, Lego put together and mixing Mm -hmm. and matching. And with all of the uh, magical stuff, which is anti that in this, right? The book of Grammarly, he reads it. And now he has the magic spells or whatever. And, 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 and the book. And we never see what's inside of it, right? Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the whole, the, 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 the grammar is kind of very amorphous. It's not, it's not a Brandon Sandersonian no. magic system. That it's is the opposite. Detailed. It's the yeah. absolute opposite. And, and even like, even Tolkien's uh, magic system is, you know, basically. What system? Yeah, exactly. It basically doesn't exist. But we do know, like, if you if you pay a little bit of close attention, uh, the wizard Gandalf has some relationship with fire, right? Mm-hmm. He can do light and fire, and and basically yeah, the rest because of his... we find we find out because he has the ring of elven ring of fire, it makes sense. Well, yes, but we don't find that out right away, right? It, no, we don't. It, but 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 it, but it nicely retcons and makes it all together. He kindles. Fine. Men's farts and also Kindle's fire too. Yes, it, it, there is. It, that's the extent of the system, and that's much more like what we have here, which is it's you know you get the the special items together, and now you have what you need to eventually fight the battle that well, we've staved off for today. And it's a it's a much yeah it's the opposite of a Brandon Sanderson or even a Jack Vanceian style magical system. Um, yes. And it also doesn't it also doesn't mean the book is five thousand pages long. With the the Harry Potter spell mm. system, it's like there's a lot to learn, and of course none of it has any value in the real world. As an analogy for a childhood, it doesn't really work, does it? Because it's just about going to school and having a teacher you don't like, and you do potions class. What? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so a lot of kids feel the same way about algebra. Yes. But you don't know why. But, yeah. but yeah, the why, thing is, why is, am I learning this? The kids in Harry Potter get to use those spells. Whereas in algebra, if you do learn those spells, generally you don't get to use them much. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe later in life, but you certainly don't, uh, you know, go on adventures with brooms. 
um, casting what's the export export ex, basically a, I don't know a spitting a spitting spell <laughs> <laughs> it's just spitting water it's like come on it's just too much I think this is this is much more my speed if we're gonna do magic it makes me like that sort of Harry Potter style fantasy it's like I don't even want to think about that kind of fantasy it's just not interesting to me whereas this is a lot more subtle I think it it works uh, very well within that other branch or softer side covered in leaves uh, side of fantasy with with gay men and also more dreamlike yes Mm -hmm. there's a a definite dreamlike quality it's almost like he's he's getting mental illness right Right, he thinks he can snap his fingers and make everybody freeze. Um, maybe that'd be an s- interesting superpower, but it's not a superpower here. It's more like a daydream, right? And and the the connection to the sensuality of of temperature is very mm-hmm. on point here. This is something you can't get in Harry Potter, right? So it, it'll just say it was very hot. <laughs> it was glowing red hot. But there's no sensuality mm-hmm. to it. And so they're very, Whereas very Whereas here, you really feel the cold. You hear oh, yeah. the crunching of the snow. You, you, uh... It's cozy. It's the cozy crunching, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very technically well done. It's almost, it feels like, it, had I not read it before, I was like, this is somebody trying to <laughs> synthesize, and they're doing it very, very well, taking... Those uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and and even Harry Potter and mixing it all together and taking out. Oh, she the... doesn't take Harry Potter. <laughs> no, that's my no, point. Right? Not. Is that is that uh, is, in one of the reviews of the movie, somebody said uh, uh, she she ought to watch herself for for pre doing Harry Potter. That's all the movie reviewers were comparing it to Harry Potter because most mostly that's what they know, right? And the phenomenon. Well, that's also what the studio was trying to do. They yes. were trying to be like, we're going to have our own series like Harry Potter has a bunch of movies like exactly. you know, they did a bunch right. of the, the Narnia movies. Exactly. They were hoping this would be their new, we can make a movie a year for seven years. And yes. Yeah, it's a money But the last one into two mm-hmm. and it, it was terrible and didn't make any money. So fortunately we didn't have to deal with any of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. People were comparing yeah. it to Harry Potter because the so many people books. making the movie were aping the Harry Potter movies very explicitly. Right, right. But well, the reason me, they picked it up. so much fantasy and second wave fantasy before reading Harry Potter series, the HP series came off as tremendously derivative to me. As opposed well, it to Super, it's deliberately Susan Cooper. Derivative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as opposed to Susan Cooper, where you feel she's really studied the old legends and synthesized them, and with her own experience, really feel, clearly, with her own yeah. experience, and you really feel connected to all of that. Um, whereas for me, the Harry Potter series was just oh, she's never read any of the original stuff. She's just you know read some. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's an echo of an echo of, of yes. Stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. whereas Susan Cooper clearly has, I mean, like, like, for example, the fact that Arthur isn't named, but clearly is in the book. It delighted me to the fact that uh, we're just going to talk we ta- around him. We're talking about the king uh, that shows up. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's King Arthur. We will sure. not no, name that him. Is not so King Arthur. Yeah, I didn't what? think it was. It's not King Arthur because he's in England. No, king Arthur he's the gets king of England. He's a Viking. It was the third ship. He said there were three ships buried on the Thames. Mm-hmm. One was dug up a while ago. It's a big archaeological site. There's this guy, and then there's the greatest king who will come back if we need him. 
It's Arthur. That's King Arthur. Yeah, yeah right, right. That's King Arthur, right? That's that's. Uh, but the guy we see, the guy he takes the no, last. No, no, no. I was talking about from... the guy. Yeah, the greatest king is like yeah, yeah. So, yeah so they talk about him, but yeah. they never actually name him. They don't have to. Right. Susan Cooper knows the material enough to like to see the and the there. audience will know too, and or they can ask the their audience. older brother. She yeah. trusts the audience to yeah. figure it out. Um. Mm-hmm. So, so so far as the, like layering and mythology and mythology, the. A recent series, which I think, which I know Trish has also read, is uh, Juliet McKenna's Green Man series, which does a lot mm-hmm. of Celtic and British mythology, mythological creatures running around modern day England. I mean, the protagonist is an adult. He's half dryad, but it's like him dealing with the magical side of his family tree, as it were, and getting into all sorts of uh, adventures and misadventures. There's a swan maid. There's evil dryads, there's river spirits, there's all sorts of interesting things. And I, I feel it's kind of like in the same condition, tradition where like she's trusting the audience to pick this stuff up and rather than spoon feeding it, yeah. taking a second hand. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, that is another good criticism uh, compare comparison. This is, is very trusting of the audience and uh, mm-hmm. Harry Potter never misses a step to try and tell you, make sure you know what's going on. It's, Maybe uh, the secret to the success, although this was fairly successful too, uh, as a book series, right? Uh, I'd heard of it, even though I I have a copy of it. Yeah, I I have a copy of it. I think I have the same one Alex uh, has, uh, you know, a set. It must have been pretty. I mean, I don't think any any book is more ubiquitous than used bookstores. Well, probably now Harry Potter is, but. Um, yeah, Tolkien, Potter. right? Tolkien, you could oh, you could still find lots of copies at used bookstores, but uh, this was fairly popular too, and it it probably like on the scale a little down from it, it won a Newbery Award. Did yeah, that that's a that's that a more a modern of, thing. That that got into a lot of uh, classroom libraries as but, a result. Uh, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe is probably like just slightly above it in terms of sales and. Impact. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Because Lewis is much more for yeah. I mean, we also have had fifty more years to see Lewis of of the ages, as it were. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a good question. Uh, is is what will the legacy of this series slash book be? And I think it's well, probably not going to go out of fashion because it's already way all out of fashion and still works, right? Yeah, it does I feel think like it's right. not as think... timely as uh, you know, Tolkien or Lewis. Though it, it doesn't get talked about as much no, in the doesn't. same way. But but it, that I think it's just because it's it's a big step down on that third tier, right? I, I, yeah. I really Some don't know books. what Neil Gaiman's legacy will be. Like, let's imagine fifty years down the road, uh, Neil Gaiman's dead. All his books are uh, were in print for a while. I think that there's going to be some standout classics. I think Neverwhere is going to keep keep going. I'm not so sure about American Gods. I think uh, Graveyard Book will go up and probably Coraline too, although I'm less enthusiastic about Coraline. My guess is he ends up like Philip K. Dick. People know the name and talk about him. They're like, oh, yeah, he was really great. And no huh. one actually reads this. Wow. That's sad because people should read Philip I- K. Dick. But they don't. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Even the people who make movies based on his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the series now, as yeah, opposed okay. to just this book. Um, I uh, think it's interesting. Some of the things that 
don't show up at all in this book show up in others. Um, the first book in the series is about a seri- a set of random non-special kids who just happen to have a special uncle or rather friend of the family, mm-hmm. Miriam and Lion. Um, and they go on a treasure hunt, as, as was said. Uh, they show up again in the third book. And it's fun because, you know, they view great uncle Mary as their property and they are irritated by the presence of this interloper, Will Stanton. Mm -hmm. And it's fun seeing them, uh, you know, being prickly with each other. Well, Will isn't prickly. He just kind of accepts uh, the situation. Um, He doesn't have to worry about inferiority, but the the three kids from the first book are the non-chosen ones. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a little trouble adjusting. Um, it's also, uh, I really like in the third book, Green Witch, which is probably my favorite of the series, that the little girl, um, Jane, uh, uh, she doesn't know much about this battle between the dark and the light. Um, she's, you know, going along with the quests, and there there is an instance where she has a chance to make a wish, and instead of wishing to further the quest, she has a generous impulse and just wishes for someone else to be happy. A specific, well, the the green witch of the title. She just, you are, you look sad. I wish you could be happy, and that has a tremendous effect on everything that happens. Um, and uh, I really like that because. There are mentions uh, in the, uh, especially the fifth book, about how cold and mission-focused the servants of the light have to be, the old Mm -hmm. ones and everything. They they can't think much about human concerns because they have to focus everything on winning this this battle. And Jane, because she is purely human, has a purely human and loving impulse to be kind and generous to someone else. And without what she did, you know, the whole the whole battle uh, of the light versus the dark might have been lost. Um, other things that come up uh, in the book, uh, there is there is or sorry, in the series, uh, there is prejudice Um uh, in the uh, fourth book, The Grey King, um, uh, it turns out that Most another people kid... people don't like albinos. Yeah, <laughs> people don't like albinos. And this kid, who also turns out to have a special destiny, is a loner and uh, uh, meets mm-hmm. Will, and they turn into friends and stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely there there is prejudice against albinos. And in the fifth book... Uh, uh, there is explicit racial prejudice. Um, it turns it's not it's more illustrative of things that are going on than actually pertinent to the grand plot. But uh, the uh, Stanton kids, the brothers, find some some uh, bullies uh, pestering a Pakistani kid and throwing his music book and notes into the river. Um, And uh, the oldest brother throws one of the bullies into the stream. And later the father of the bully comes and talks to the Stanton kid's father. Um, And there's this whole whole debate about how um, these people are coming over here and being on the national health 
and uh, mm. taking jobs away and yeah, stuff. It's, it's and, very different from this book. Right. Very, very different. Very topical. Very pertinent. I was, I mm-hmm. was kind of amazed at how pertinent it is to debates that are still going on today. Um, and uh, the, the the father, you know, says if if we didn't have immigrants here, our whole national health system would fall apart because we wouldn't have enough doctors and nurses, and they're taking jobs that mostly British people don't want, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that goes on, but the pertinence to the plot of what there is is that Will is thinking about how uh, the dark uses prejudice and hate and uh, insecurities that lead to racial prejudice to get into people and make them turn toward the dark and toward hatred and all that, that sounds kind of thing. really pertinent this 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 year. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was rather surprised. I mean, <laughs> definitely racial issues were a topic in the seventies too, but I guess the the first few books are so insular. And you know, not at all talking what, what's, about. Uh, what do you, of the what do you think that the is it to do with like it being a rural adventure versus mm-hmm. a city adventure? Because that That's seems to be what's it. going it just on didn't here. Come up, those kind of issues just didn't come they, up. Right, unless you're people. you know, unless you're seeing a lot of immigrants, which is they tend to go to the cities because that's where the work is. Um, right, but Cooper at all did not have to put this sequence in the fifth book, which is, I think, the longest book, certainly one of the longest. Uh, she she easily could have just not included it all because it is not plot pertinent except as an illustration of how the dark gets into people. Mm-hmm. The little character beat. Mm-hmm. How old did the characters get? Because uh, if the kids from uh, the 60s I, book are in this... It was like 15, I think, at the end. Okay. Yeah, because this yeah. book takes place over basically twenty days, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, time there's that learn. too. Yeah, just pretend that the uh, first book, uh, the prequel, happened in the seventies, like the rest of the books. It, it doesn't really. So, so it's like Doctor Who. So what you're saying where you're trying to figure out where things happened in, like, per unit, you can't actually make sense of it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Got it. They're kids' books. Moving on. Okay, <laughs> there is a there is a kids book on a, a, a UK kids book. I'm, I can't remember the name. I want to say it's Elantris. I know it's not Elantris. It's it's a one word title like that, um, and it's about a bunch of kids running around um, in a sort of urban decay, um, and they find the sort of stepping into sort of a magical world like this. It's not a portal exactly. Um, and they connect with again like a sword and a bowl and something else. And I, I, I think there was a movie adaptation. I can't remember the name of this series, but if it feels like this, but I hated that book. I couldn't even finish it. Um, and I think it was because the characters were nasty to each other, and maybe the movie, movie. I tried to watch the movie, and the characters were nasty to each other as well. I'm like, why am I, you know? Maybe if I, w- I was surrounded by nasty kids, you know, <laughs> I-, I would think that that's great. So there is like this connection to the the magical object. In this case, the the grammary, which is interesting spelling, and uh, grimoire. They're all connected, right? 
But the thing about Harry Potter is he goes to school and he learns. Here we've got a guy who says, you need to read this book. And he says, I can't read old li- old languages. He says, ah, you're reading old, la- you're speaking old languages right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like there's a, an easiness to this um, and a sedateness or a staidness to it. Uh, and I think even in places where, like, I always go back to that Neil Gaiman uh, graveyard book. Even in places where there's like a lot of horror, that book starts with a knife, a knife going after a baby, right? A baby about to get mm. stabbed in its cradle. Right. Um, and there's like a yeah, I think there's some pertinent racism stuff going on in that book too, right? But even in that, where it's 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 softened by the story, um, it's made palatable and enjoyable and a wonderful soft experience you can do this all sorts of different ways apparently uh susan cooper's got it the right way on this this is like a story i've seen before it's i felt like i could predict the story beats and what was going to happen once i oh that it's one of these books and yet um it is kind of all uh, its own thing. And that's uh, pretty impressive. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, good book. Uh, don't feel like I need to follow up on the series. Thank you for telling me what happens later in it, Trish, and Alex, what happens earlier. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't think there's a ton more to say other than to ask, has she written anything else? Because I looked and I, I didn't recognize any of the other books uh, by her on the ISFDB listing. Uh, has she there... has written other books. I have not read any of them. Alex, have you read any of yeah, her same. other stuff? I haven't. So that's interesting because, you know, a lot of the people I've we've I've heard named... of The Selkie Girl, another book by her. Okay. Um, she's written a retelling of Tam Lin. Uh something called The Shortest Day she wrote in 2019. She's still alive. Yeah, yeah. And apparently still writing as of three years ago. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we've got some people like Tolkien. He, he Essentially, he wrote four books, right? Not oh, really. You know he wrote I read Seaward. Seaward? He wrote Seaward, and, and I read that. What was, was that weird. like? Um. 1983 it's, book, it says. Yeah, the 1983 book. It's, I mean, the, the punchline, everyone was dead the whole time. Oh. Um, but it's like, there's a road, you're trying to, they're trying to get to the sea, and it's, no one quite knows why they're there, because they're in, like, purgatory. And ah. Their final destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I remember reading it. I just looked up her list, like, oh, yeah, I read this book. Mm-hmm. It was It was weird. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but it was... It's interesting. As a like, kid, you get the answer, like, oh, this kid you can realize has been dead the whole time. Right. Oh. I, I think about how C.S. Lewis, he wrote more than, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the rest of that series. Oh, um, yeah. He wrote, yeah, he wrote screw up, tape letters, lots, lots of, yeah, the, that Great divorce, Out of the Silent Planet series, mm-hmm. right? He, he wrote yeah, a right. bunch of other stuff, but he, as, a, uh, as a guy, he's got one famous book one famous series and then there's like a whole uh, this is a big thing on on YouTube iceberg of C.S. Lewis underneath right and clearly that's the, the case with Susan Cooper as well uh, 
But uh, uh, Tolkien's got his own iceberg as well. But with a guy like Neil Gaiman, who, uh, again, another contemporary still writing, um, I don't feel like American Gods is 10,000 times better than uh, everything else and that everybody knows it. Although I I felt that at the time when I was reading it. It was like, wow, what a book, right? Um, Well, it was great. While I was reading it, I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think that those feelings hold up, <laughs> but I remember f- saying, wow, what a book. And I, you know, I came off the Sandman and I, when I was coming yeah, off the I, Sandman, I, I was like, wow, that. what a book. Right. You know, but yes. I, I seem to think like pretty much all of his stuff is really good. And that is I, a different kind of writer. I think maybe, maybe that's more like Susan Cooper if I had read more Susan Cooper, but, um, mm-hmm. I just think that that's unusual, Right. He's uh he's different, Neil Gaiman. He's uh, synthesizing a bunch of different things, and he does it differently. And it's a writing career as well. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You can you can pretty much always trust that a Gaiman book is going to be a good story. Yeah. Uh, um, it's he doesn't really have off days as far as it's that's uh, I guess that's the yeah even like his small stuff you know you come away mm-hmm. thinking it's good. And yeah, I I think there are things that are like yeah, I think Coraline's not his his best book, but it's a super good book, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. for some people, right? Before we go entirely away from Susan Cooper, I okay. would like to read something from the last book in the series, Silver on the Tree. Oh, good! I was um, hoping you were going to do this. <laughs> uh, and I will spoil the series so much as to say that the light eventually does win the final battle against the dark. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe this is true. Uh, (laughs) And Merriman Lion is going away out of the world, uh, and he's saying goodbye to Will and the others. Um, And he says, uh, Remember that it is altogether your world now, you and all the rest. We have delivered you from evil, but the evil that is inside men is at the last a matter for men to control. The responsibility and the hope and the promise are in your hands, your hands and the hands of the children of all men on this earth. The future cannot blame the present, just as the present cannot blame the past. The hope is always here, always alive, but only your fierce caring can fan it into a fire to warm the world. For Drake is no longer in his hammock, children, nor is Arthur somewhere sleeping. And you may not lie idly expecting the second coming of anybody now, because the world is yours and it is up to you. Now, especially since man has the strength to destroy this world, it is the responsibility of man to keep it alive in all its beauty and marvelous joy. It's a a very different tone. Uh, thinking about like this this book, uh, it could have been set before World War II. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. no reason for it to be stuck in a particular time period. Other, you know, they have electricity. Yeah, okay. It's, it's before cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's before cell phones for sure. But uh, it it doesn't feel placed in time uh, like a Neil Gaiman book, right? In mm-hmm. a certain sense, or uh, some Neil Gaiman books, anyways. Uh, it's set in the childhood time before before you, you were given a cell phone as a kid, you know, or whatever. But uh, yeah, 
Interesting. Um, when was the last book in that series finished so that it got that Published packaging? Published in 77. Okay. So, yeah. It's it's interesting. Interesting. I wonder what the legacy of these books books are because the way I encountered, you know, most of the books that I read, they were published long before I got to them. And I don't think that that's so much the case anymore. I think that if, unless it's a reprint, right, uh, and that that's possible too. Well, there is the BBC radio adapt or podcast uh-huh, adaptation. Yeah. The audio it's not drama. finished yet. I can't believe uh, they're dragging it out. <laughs> it, it's getting close to being finished. But I was listening I to that. I think the last one comes out today. Mm-hmm. Um, they started on the twentieth and released like a chapter a day. Um, it's been so long since there's been anything good on BBC radio drama. I cannot tell you how I, I basically had been abandoned. I'm glad you pointed it out to me. And it yeah, is available really for download, this. kind of, uh, at least in some parts, but it's not on every. So it. I it, think it's available for thirty days on BBC. Uh, it says uh, available for over a year. Oh, um, over a year! Great. Yes. So hopefully this podcast will come out in time for people to go and find the the audio. Drama. Yeah, it should. <laughs> it should be. It should be out. And I believe this is new too, right? As opposed to yes, it's. There, it's not a re-release. It, no, this is new this and that's year. been so many years since. Like I, I was saying, COVID must have killed it. But no, it was it was in massive decline before that, and it's so unusual to have any any new good content from BBC. So I'm really glad you pointed it out. It is pretty good. I would say that the sound um, mix is not perfect. I think the script is better than the sound mix because sometimes we've got overlapping. You know, sound effects with music and conversations. That's not a good look. In mm, I thought that in those cases it was supposed to be a kind of confusing feeling Indeed. with a lot of stuff going on. Indeed, but I think that works better as a person who's read the book than it does as a person who fair. has not read the book. And yeah, uh, it should work on its own, uh, especially if you're, you know, want to be cozy. Cozy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which it it is very much is a cozy book. Um, yeah, so pretty good, pretty good. I, I'm trying to remember the name. I'll I'll look up that Edward Parnell book. Uh, we did a show on it, but I can't remember. Uh, Ghostland, that's what it's called. Um, In Search of a Haunted Country, and uh, he he in the book talks about being a writer. Um, but he's only written one other book, so I think he must be like a TV writer. Some other kind of writer. Um, but yeah, I recommend that book if you're looking for a sort of a... Uh, it's not a complete exhaustive overview of all of British fantasy literature, horror fiction, or anything like that. But it is a uh, personal journey. And uh, both I and Connor came away thinking it was like... Um, we were thinking it's going to be more like among others, you know, like just a survey of, of stuff. Uh uh, although that's done as fiction for some reason, um, in in fact, it's more of a like a personal reminiscence of this per- particular guy and his childhood, and his relationship to these books, and and a lot of bird watching with you know dying parents and stuff like that. So, um, it, it's actually a good book as well as being an interesting book. 
cool. So uh, let's talk about what else we got. Um, I know it's a new year, so we've got some new things on the schedule. Let's see. Well, I think you had me down for a couple things coming up here. Yeah, so next week is the skull. Which we need Scott Miller's audio book for. I will uh, dig that up, hopefully, by uh, tapping on him. If not, there's always a LibriVox. And um, it's only optional to watch... uh, the a movie adaptation by James Cameron. What movie? What what movie adaptation? <laughs> the Terminator. <laughs> that's not that's not a movie adaptation. It's, it's kind it's, of it's, close. If you no, uh, Jesse, dude, I I I I, I read mean, the read the I mean, story. The, 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 read the story. The Terminator. The Terminator is much more. Don't much, don't, say more it, from, don't say it. From, don't from, say it. Don't say Harlan Ellison. Harlan. I'm going to say, like, well, I mean, he he certainly believed he it. Got he got his name on the credits. But yeah, so. uh, if you haven't read my essay explaining why that that's not true, clearly, uh, I uh, like I say, uh, uh, clearly, uh, you don't have to read. Uh, sorry, you don't have to watch The Terminator <laughs> because it's not an official adaptation. However, <laughs> it doesn't hurt to rewatch The Terminator. Not Terminator 2, just The Terminator. Um, I'm very, very excited about the Moon Maid. Alex is in for that. Um, I just need some centaurs in my life, I think. And I, I like maids who are on the moon. Um, and I believe there's a... Uh, I'm very excited about this too, Alex. Um, the Cave Girl just dropped on LibriVox by Edgar Rice Burroughs. And oh, wow. I like I like uh, prehistoricals and uh, I like Edgar Rice Burroughs, so maybe the Cave Girl's good. Um then we got. Uh, there, there are no boring Edgar Rice Burroughs stories. There are a lot of ones that aren't good, but there are yeah. that are boring. So. Yeah, um, I I haven't found one that was boring. That's true. That's a good sign. A Shadows of Zambula is on the list, so we got a Conan. Then uh, Trish should be. I'd up be for... happy to on, to be on Shadows of Zambula, All but right. we've already got like seven people listed. Um, we've got you with a question mark for Space Viking. Why? Why are? Why is there a question mark? Maybe we just didn't invite you because we haven't heard from you, but wanted to. That's probably it. It's been a while since I've been on this it podcast. Has been. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, the last time we were on this podcast, Trish, mm-hmm. um, right after I got off, uh, I saw that you followed tweets of High Adventure. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I've been enjoying that. That's <laughs> a good. It's a good. Uh, uh, I I really like you digging up all those art. That's uh, so good. Oh yeah, very valuable. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, honestly takes the most time out of it. Is trying imagine. to find art for each of the chapters that kind of fits. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very. Some of some of the stuff there's just like Queen of the Black Coast. There's like ten billion illustrations, but trying yeah. to find them for some of the more obscure Robert E. Howard stuff is. Pretty difficult. Some of them that just don't exist. Yeah, uh, even you have to go kind of generic. Yeah. Uh, so Shadows of Zambula, Space Viking, and then uh, the Golden Slave. That sounds like a, an Alex book too. That uh, I, I believe I own that on paperback. Yeah, you should. It's it's a pulp cover cover. Some dude, uh, blonde dude in chains. Some lady going, I could kill you. I could not kill you. <laughs> In a chair. Wow. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about it other than it's Paul Anderson and it's public domain and it's a novel. So, it's 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 historical fiction. Yeah, sixth century or fourth century or something like that. Sixth century. Yeah, fourth or fifth century. I'm guessing. Late late Roman Empire. Mm Hmm. 
The degenerate Roman Empire. Um, yes. That's the best. The, the, the best the, the Roman. <laughs> but Paul Anderson's much more nuanced than that. Uh, then and we got the Venom Business. Um, oh, one of those Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton, <laughs> John Lang books. A snake book. Um, and look at this. Rocket Ship Galileo. Finally, oh, Paul just Adams. Yep. You, you say it with a smile when you say it, Paul. Back to Heinlein. Back to Heinlein. I'm excited. This is the first juvenile. So we're, we're filling up the corners. There's not much of running out of Heinlein juveniles. We're going to have to classify Podcane of Mars as a Heinlein juvenile. Well, we've done Starship Troopers. Or not. No, we haven't done Starship Troopers. Uh, and it's not quite a uh, juvenile, but I can understand. It's, it's kind of it's juvenile ish. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. juvenile-ish. Yeah. It feels very young adult. I want to do that book, but I want to do Farnham's Freehold first. And I know... Oh, God. Oh, God. I know that... not everybody wants to do it, so it's um, going to be I, I, hard to I, find. I might rage across a lot of that podcast. What we can do is we can have like a pre-show where it's all rage, and then when you're exhausted, <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can talk about there, there, the plot points. There's enough of that book to rage me through, through several hours. I don't know. Yeah. When was I'm, last I'm time you read it? I wouldn't do it, but I, I have opinions about that book. When was the last time of. you read it? Because I haven't read it since the 80s, at least. Um, I read it in last read it in the uh, late 90s. Okay. It's been a while. Fine. But <laughs> What's that? So you're signing up for Farnham's Freehold is what I'm hearing. Um, <laughs> somebody's adding it there. Okay, uh, unseen, unfeared. I just got a recording from Mike Vendetti. That's one of the few Francis Stevens that uh, still hasn't hadn't been recorded. I was lamenting this fact, and I I hinted, and he he took the hint, and he sent it to me. It's not super long. I think it's an hour or so. Um, I can't remember what it's about, but it's new Francis Stevens and uh, public domain. And uh, I like the who was on the last one we did the heads of Cerberus. Nobody here. Paul, myself. I was on. I, oh yeah, I, I, I was on Cerberus. Yeah, yeah. Cora and Alex. Okay, yeah, you were. Yeah, that was right before you you went to Vietnam. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's the oh, look at that. We can we can put Farnham's Freehold on the schedule uh, with a date if you like. Um, what's the, it's possible. I, t- I what's mean, just the, make sure. What is that date exactly? I, I lost part of my. Why is this? It would be it would it would be March fifth if we do it right after the Francis Stevens. March. Just two weeks yeah. after another Highland. Ooh, that's yeah, a good that point. Yeah, that's a good we, point. We, 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 we push it off a little while. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, well, the, you know, we got enough on here for now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's months. How long months is ahead. Ten hours twenty. Someday, minutes. I'd wow. love to do uh, Conan and the Emerald Lotus. <laughs> who is who is the author of that? Um, Hawking. Is there an audiobook? I I don't know if it's an audiobook. It came out in the I want to say the late eighties, early nineties. Um, no, early nineties, the nineties. Um. He only wrote the one – he only published the one book. It was a big hit. A lot of people say it's the best non-Howard Conan novel. Mm. He wrote a second one called Conan the Living Plague, which has been sitting in someone's drawer for 25 years now. Wow. And wow. they've threatened to publish it a couple of times. And several different people have had the rights to Conan's stuff. I'm like, we're going to publish this new Conan story. 
and it never has made it out. It was supposed to come out it's in cursed. early 2020, and the plague happened, and so we didn't publish Living Plague. I don't think it's an uh, audiobook Jesse, for this. I will, I will remind you uh-huh. that uh, Metropolis, the movie, okay. uh, is it's released public as domain. public domain. Yes. As of today. Yes. Well, the good news is the book is also public domain. What we need now is an audiobook. So that's the uh, that's basically the only criterion um, preventing us from doing that Conan and the Emerald Lotus. I I just looked. I I, I have a few other places I can look um, to see if it was done at time in the past, but I suspect it was never done as an audiobook given the period. If it had come out today, it's possible, but because it's in the nineties, that was not an audiobook period. So, who wrote the book Metropolis the film was based Thea on? Thea von Harbaugh and her husband. In fact, it's unclear whether Thea von Harbaugh and her husband wrote the novel first, or the movie, or simultaneously. And uh, there is an amazing uh, uh, audio drama from BBC that came out once um, of course there is. <laughs> and, of course um, there is. There's a few yeah. other audio dramas, but this one is like, it's radical and it's, it's really cool. Uh, one of the things that happens in it is uh, we don't know if our main character is like mentally ill or not um, because the things that are happening, the secret conspiracy, oh. it adds a layer uh, to the, you know, I haven't read the book, but it adds a layer to the film that is not present. Um, and it's super good. That audio drama is like one of the best things I've ever heard from BBC. And, you know, they did some amazing stuff in their day. So, uh, I am very much looking forward to that. And the, there is no technical limitation, I think, for the, uh, audiobook of, of it to be done. Um, uh, there is a version, uh, a PDF, really crappy PDF on archive.org, but there may be a new one. There's so much new content being added all the time. It could be a new one. Mm. So I think that, that we are probably going to see that later in this year. You'll probably be, And if there's a LibriVox version, that'd be the ideal, right? Because then... It yeah, it says an English translation of the book was of Metropolis was published in 1927. Yeah. So if... There's if one earlier can... than that, too. Um, I... I uh, and the other thing to remember is um, one of the things that happens every year is everybody gets excited about new things coming into the public domain. They're only counting one way. They're not counting the renewals. So if you didn't get a renewal, and these guys did not get an English renewal, it was already public domain. So the film, uh, mm. I, I think the film was already public domain. But there's like a what the way a lot of the people who worry about public domain count is they only count uh, by not looking <laughs> to see if it was renewed or not. And for anything between the... It used to be 1923, well, a lot and of the it changes every is, year now. A lot of the 63. stuff you can't tell because they became orphans, and uh, if you actually made something with them, someone would come out of the woodwork and sue you. Well, that's, you can't that's, track down who to get permission. That's the story, but that's not actually true, because if you have an ability to search it up, you can see that it's not renewed between mm-hmm. 1923, first, or it's now 26, and uh, 1963, it had to be renewed in the United States. So it, 
it, when you only count by the how many years ago, you're missing tons and tons of stuff. So by that logic, none of the Robert E. Howard stuff would be public domain, but it is because all of it was published subsequent to the 1926 or whatever it is this this year. You see, you see like they're only counting the really old stuff. Whereas, uh, and that's for the longest time. That's why we only got Dracula and uh, Frankenstein because people didn't do. Th- but we now have the ability, or at least some of us, know where to search and find out whether it's been renewed or not. And that's very, very important because uh, otherwise we're limited to 1926 and earlier. What it's amazing how many people will claim to have copyright on things where it was never renewed and then oh, still yeah. learn suing people. Uh, I, I have had editors from FNSF saying, no, we have the copyright for that. Fuck you. You didn't get Alfred Bastard to sign over life rights to it, and you didn't renew it. You only renewed the whole issue. You didn't. Own, he just doesn't know is, is my charitable reading of it. It's like people just don't know how copyright works. And it's like, yeah, it's really hard. How could you know? They don't teach it in school, right? Mm. It's it's very difficult to know. And you say, oh, you're not a lawyer. Like, dude, most lawyers don't know either. It's a very specialized field. It's sure. super specialized. So um, I, I, tw- I sent it to Paul. I don't think I sent it to Alex or Trish. Um, there's a uh, script by uh, Philip K. Dick uh, for a TV show called The Invaders, a show I've never seen. Um, mm-hmm. That never got published or not never yeah. got filmed. It's actually more of a script outline rather than a script, and it's very, very, very Philip K. Dick. Um, that got published in '85 uh, in a fanzine or uh, official Philip K. Dick fanzine, and so that's never going to be. I public have domain. seen The Invaders or at least the first series mm-hmm. se- season of the TV show um, uh, on one of those you know late night public access channels uh so that was how was uh, it because it's uh, it's like paranoid i assume yeah i mean it's it's kind of like uh uh what's that movie i mean what's that series about uh the fugitive yeah it's it's kind okay. of like one i figured man, it was kind of war of the worlds you know remember that 80s series or no no it's it's much more like um um, pod people or something like yeah. that. It's, uh, pod people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how they, that's how they do it in the War of the Worlds the series. Well, the the, pod, oh, okay. the people, I seen the, the aliens climb inside people, and then mm-hmm. you know it's actually that that show was really good. It was very rough. It was a Fox show, I think. And, the, and yeah. the, the second series, they kind of like the second season, like well, we got to change things up. We might get canceled, and like they made it post-apocalyptic which it's kind of it was kind of interesting but it was like well that's a change because they were doing it as like it's a secret invasion and then like no you skip ahead and now like they fired the main actor they got a new guy but it's actually quite a good show um for what a weird concept it is the concept is the movie war of the worlds uh the one from the 50s was a documentary (laughs) And it's been suppressed, and everybody thinks it's a fiction thing. But at the end of the movie, instead of all the the War of the Worlds aliens, Martians dying, they went into suspended animation and 
su- survived um, and now are reviving. And they're out to uh, get all their corpses out of barrels and take over the planet again. It's a really bad premise, but it's actually a pretty good show. I don't know if that's a bad premise. It's a definitely. A it's a terrible premise. idea for like you take a 1950s movie and say it was a true documentary. <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, I mean, um, what's gonna call it? Um, uh, Men in Black kind of plays with that a little bit. Yeah, but that's Saying, not but, that's like, not like, great the stuff either. The world news is actually real stuff that you don't believe. Yeah, I so, think this is much better than a lot of fun, Jesse. Uh, dude, I watched the first one. It was cute. I don't think I ever need to see another one. The, the others are not good. The first one is, is a very. It was cute. Set. It was cute. It was a fun idea. I like the actors, uh, especially the grizzled guy, um, Tommy Lee Jones. That's it's him. peak Tommy Lee Jones. It's peak Tommy <laughs> it's Lee very, Jones. Fugitive, fugitive era. When he he's been a movie actor forever. Like you know, he was active in the eighties. He was doing movies, but his career sort of took off quite late, and then sort of just went back to normal <laughs> right like he was never uh you know a breakout lead in anything and then he started getting these uh yeah he is a breakout guy and then no no back to normal <laughs> he's a, just a, you know not a b actor even just like a just a, a working Wait, actor yeah uh but yeah he, i gotta run all right thank you sir i'll uh, contact you for the next one whenever that is Right. Good talking with you. Yeah. What was that, Trish? I said to Alex, oh. good talking with you. Oh, okay, good. All right. Um, we did pretty good for our first show in the new year. First, first year, first show, first fun. <laughs> what's the What's the schedule for the new year? Have you made any resolutions? I don't make resolutions. I just try to do as good as I can. Did you actually have a show last week, Justin, no, or not? No, didn't record anything because of um, it, it's hard to find people. And also, um, I didn't know what the weather would be like for traveling to see I, I, relatives. I, I, spent, I, I spent 34 hours on Christmas. <laughs> ah, yikes. 34, 35. Thanks, th- thanks to the time zones. I spent the longest Christmas of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's not so I, good. I, well, it was it was an interesting experience to um, see the never ending yeah, Christmas. Christ- the never ending, never ending Christmas. You know, like Christmas trees and. I'm glad when it, Christmas is over. I like Christmas, but I'm like super happy when it's over. Whereas when Halloween's over, it's never over. <laughs> I so keep the decorations all year. Who dumps the decorations the day after Christmas? I don't. I don't do Christmas decorations. I only do mm-hmm. Halloween decorations. Well, that simplifies things. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, once the Halloween decorations go up, they never come down. <laughs> and well, that just is a lifestyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. I th- it's a increasingly popular lifestyle. Uh, but um, Jesse, yeah. mm-hmm. did you know that um, after the Invaders TV show of the seventies, there was a mini series in nineteen ninety five. They were trying to turn it into a new series. Yeah, oh. um, I may have seen that. I was pretty. I paid a lot of attention, to, unless it was like on Sci Fi Channel or something. It says it was Fox, I think. Invaders. Um, but anyway, Roy Thins, Thinnes, yeah. the uh, yeah. star of the first series, was brought on as 
you know, as his own his original character, mm-hmm. David Vincent, um, on the miniseries. So, you know, you have to think of him dodging the aliens for 20 years mm-hmm. and trying to tell people the aliens are here. And for 20 years, they're, ju- they're still just uh, <laughs> not taking over yet. <laughs> that Philip K. Dick script, I think I got some technical details in my summary wrong. Um, but it's so Philip K. Dick, and it would be a really good series for him to have uh, done because it is all about paranoia and can't. There's he mentions artificial memories. Uh, it's so Philip K. Dick. Um, by the way, it looks like the first episode of the original is on YouTube. Uh, Invaders. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess I could. And there that. was a Canadian science fiction series I've been hearing about on uh, Continuum Drag lately, which uh-huh. uh, uh, which is called First Wave, which sounds it. like almost a direct yeah, clone. Yeah, it's of not a great invaders. series. Um, I watched I think the first season, and then I think uh, I didn't watch any more. Um, mm-hmm. Filmed locally. Uh, frame for murder and on the run, a former thief struggles to expose the vanguard of an alien invasion with the help of a conspiracy theorist and newly discovered prophecies of Nostradamus. There's the part where it sort of goes off the rails. <laughs> um, I think one of the actresses was like a, a semi-porn star sort of actress. I can't remember. Um, semi-porn actress. You know, like the the either uh, they were in a porn movie or they were like um, one of those... Porn sort adjacent? Of, yeah, sort of like um, just a lot well, of nudity. Kind, kind of like that gore movie is porn adjacent. I haven't seen gore. Um, it's not good. It's oh, not or good. maybe maybe it's your <laughs> Y-O-R. Your yeah, and gore. Oh. Gore's, gore's <laughs> terrible. Who, is the, who are the actors in this show? Uh, Sebastian Spence. Yeah, Sebastian. Uh, he, he almost had a career, too. Poor guy. Uh... So one of the things they had to do uh, for any of these shows, it's it's kind of a game. If you watch a, a Canadian uh, science fiction TV show, and there's lots of them, right? Or yeah. ones filmed in Canada. Um, they get one of the rules in different shows a yeah. lot. <laughs> well, one of the rules, um, it, they get tax credits and a bunch of benefits for CanCon. Oh, yeah. And so one mm-hmm. of the rules is the second highest paid actor has to be Canadian. <laughs> so... If you look around, like the, the and you mean like at least the second highest paid. Yeah, that's can, one of the rules. There's lots of different rules. The first highest paid, right? No, no, no. Generally, they're not. You know, they'll bring like there was a show called Millennium. Remember that show? Mm-hmm. Yep. The main actor there was not Canadian, right? Okay. Uh, I can't no. remember his name, but he was the android in Aliens. I know who you. Les Hendrickson. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. So for him. Uh, he's not Canadian. They can't get. Uh, it works on a point system. So, like, uh, if you, you know, if the scriptwriter is Canadian, you get a point, <laughs> and you have to get a certain number of points to get uh, the tax credit. So mm-hmm. it's like it's always like a kludge to figure out how to do it, and and so they'll well, get a director or it whatever. Like, it sounds like it's a, like a, like a, a game for accountants. It is a game for accountants, and that's why we have an industry that steals a little <laughs> bit of the American industry, film industry, and bring bring up, uh, make TV's shows, right? X-Files. Uh, at one point, they went back to Los Angeles because the actors didn't want to be up here because, you know, the weather's bad and they want to be near their family and near their other jobs. Uh, 
So when they got enough clout, they said, We're, fuck this shit. We'll go to Hollywood. And it's, it's, you come with us. And they did. Right? Um, but there's reasons they're up here doing it is because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of a fun game to play while watching yeah, the that's, show that's to try and figure out which ones are Canadian one. actors getting their getting getting the role because it's part of the point system. And uh, when you're casting, right, uh, generally guest stars um, mm-hmm. can either be American or Canadian. But if it's a minor role, you just cast locally because you don't want to fly somebody sure. in. Um, sure. So a lot of the secondary, like, remember the characters, the lone gunman from uh, mm-hmm. X-Files? And then they got their own show briefly. Um, those are all, like, local Canadian actors, I'm sure, uh, working. And, like, the cigarette-smoking man, Canadian actor. right? Because they just cast those locally, and then it turns out a bigger role. It's it's kind of a fun game to <laughs> guess the Canadian actor on the show. And you can usually guess by watching a lot of the shows, because you'll see the same actors over and over again. One of the guys on... Um, uh, it's not the Killjoys, the other one. Uh, Black... Dark... Dark Nebula? No, it's Dark Matter. That show? Really good show. Oh, yeah. A that lot was of, a fun show. It was a really good show. Um, had a lot going for it. Uh, although, Will Wheaton, as an actor, again, was... I couldn't believe how bad he was. He's a good audiobook narrator, but... Oh, man, he was so bad. Maybe it was just a bad role for him. He was playing a villain. <laughs> yeah, was he a guest star? I don't remember. Yeah, he played a guest. He guest starred as a like a mad scientist sort of guy who created some something. I was like, oh, okay. that was a- casting against type, I guess. Um, anyways, that yeah, it's a shame that show got canceled because it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I haven't seen uh, anything science fiction Canadian lately. I think COVID killed a lot of production. Especially crossing the borders is very difficult under COVID, right? Yep. Yes, that's been an issue. Okay, I got to go. My players are calling for me. (laughs) All right, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Trish. Well, thank you for doing this book, Jesse. Oh, no worries. You picked one uh, on my list of books I wanted to do. That's always easy to do. Thank you. Take care, everybody. And there was an audio book. Thank you. Bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF Audio. Vietnam sees itself as a as a country, as a culture, as a society that has been continually invaded and attacked, and we resist with all our strength against those who would conquer us. Um, China's invade over a thousand years. China's invaded Vietnam like thirteen times, and they talk they talk about that. And yeah, China's not liked in Vietnam at all. Um, even Thailand invaded the Vietnam once, which I had no idea about. It's like, what? Well, if you're around for thousands of years, it makes sense, right? But still, it's like, it's like never heard of that. And so the, so the Vietnam War, i.e. the, the American uh, Vietnam War, is seen as just as a, yet another attempt by, uh, by outside powers to uh, hold, hold us down. And so 
the liberation, the removal of American forces is seen as a great victory and as part of the tradition that we resist people who will con- try to conquer us. We will kick your ass and get, and we will we will be sovereign. Thank you very much. That's, that is that is, is the, that that the, is the uh, Vietnam story. So is that the Vietnam like the Vietnam Museum signs, well, or I, is there a guy I, there who's saying that? They're in the signs and in the materials, and also the also the the one tour guide. Yeah, they mm. they actually two tour guides. We can count the one that I went to when I went to the Chuchi Tunnels. Yeah, so yeah, that's that is definitely the cultural viewpoint that we we resist people who try to conquer and keep us down and. We will, we will, we will resist and kick your ass out. I, I, have, a, time. I have a question. Uh, my friend Mike Vendetti, he wants to know um, if uh, you found his leg. <laughs> what? Wait, what? <laughs> he left his leg in Vietnam. No, I did not find any legs okay. in Vietnam. Okay. It's a no. very strange question, Jesse. <laughs> it's a joke. I don't think ball. Mike asked you to ask me that. I think you're just trolling me. Well, uh, yeah, it's a joke. I mean, it wasn't troll. I guess it's an old joke. <laughs> he left his heart in San Francisco. <laughs> Did you find it? Um, no, <laughs> I'm, no, Jesse. Me no, neither. I've never. I, except for the whole airport, I've never been within the bounds of. Oh, really? San Francisco. Yeah, I've only been to the airport. I was there before it. it turned into a homeless encampment. Um, <sighs> I haven't been there since. Um. Mm, I mean, there was homeless people there, but it was How not about, a, a homeless not a, encampment. San Francisco is not a homeless encampment. Shall we move on to another subject? You might need to look at those pics. It's pretty shocking. Um, sure. Um, uh, I need to ask um, Alex if he's a seventh son. And if uh, No, I'm a first son. I oh, do have okay. seven brothers. <clears throat> Damn. Okay. I, I have a brother who is a seventh son. Right. Is he a seventh son of a seventh son? No. Okay. All right. Well, my father split. was a third son and a sixth child. Wow. If well, we don't count some twins that died at birth. No, we do. We do count them. Because otherwise then the math doesn't work out. I, I, I believe the phrase is save it for the podcast. All right. All right. <laughs> what, what do you got going, Trish? Um, what do I have doing? I just got back from a nice weekend Raleigh where I was visiting uh, relatives, and that was very, uh, very nice, very uh, cheerful and loving. Romping in Raleigh? (laughs) Sure. Did uh, you get get a giant (laughs) snowfall? Not while I was there. It was pretty... Okay. Well, it was cold the first couple of days. Uh, well, cold for North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, not cold for Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> um, okay. But it was it was uh, pretty nice. And Paul, did you come back to lots of snow? I I came back to a bunch of snow and cold temperatures. So yes, it was kind of shocking to go from highs in the eighties to um, mm-hmm. five degrees, five degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, what was the weather like in Vietnam? Was it uh, like Tropical or it was tropical. There was no rain. It was lows in the low seventies, highs in the eighties and nineties every day. I'm getting so, every every everything that Trish is sweeping on her desktop. <laughs> or is, it, is that a mouse? What is that? 
Uh, it's uh, I was adjusting the pad to stand on for my standing desk. Oh, you're at a, you're at a standing desk. desk for the podcast. No wonder you can't stand me. <laughs> <laughs> I think she is standing for it. As a matter of fact, by definition, she's standing. Uh, well, for I it. I have a standing desk too, but I only game on that one. I'm podcasting. Yeah. I have to sit down. It's a serious business. <laughs> Gaming, I, not important. I, I, I played PUBG with you. You take that rather seriously, Jesse. No, no, not compared to podcasting. Really not compared well, to podcasting. Maybe. Um. Oh, okay. So, um, what about you, Alex? Did you get a big snowfall? No, we had a nice cold snap. Um, it got to be uh, almost zero degrees here uh Fahrenheit but it didn't snow. It was kind of raining right before it got real cold and we really lucked out we didn't have a bunch of ice. I was very lucky. I uh we had our power went out for oh. 12 hours. Wow. I'd go camp out at my parents place. Wow. That's yeah, with all those kids and wives and all those kids. All those kids, all those babies. I, I presume you have some pets too. Do you have some pets? No, 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 I don't. Okay. I have kids. (laughs) You don't need pets if you have kids. This is what I'm learning, yes. Um, Yeah, so uh, we... we, uh, How about you, Jesse? We had a lot of snow, and uh, it was so bad, I I had to come back from the island because I knew I wouldn't be able to come back if it started snowing because my car is not designed for slaloming. And uh, so I came back, and... It was so bad I couldn't even go to work, which is the whole point of coming back from the island is to go to work. Um, but that – so we had like a massive dump of snow and uh, it stuck around for about a week and then it started raining and washed it all away. So I, I, I heard I heard out in the world other people had had a lot of snow, but it was sort of – Somewhere in the United States, and I wasn't clear because I don't. Really, nice. I don't really Buffalo, pay New attention. York definitely yeah. got a lot of snow. Okay. Yes, Buffalo, New York had got got slammed very badly. Thank you, Lake Effect. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's it's really interesting how the Mid Atlantic is usually very snowbound. Yeah, that's what I figured, and I was like, who who does this encompass? Because you know the Carolinas don't tend to get a ton of snow, right? Um, it's just a little bit too warm. But D.C. could get, uh, you know, Maryland could get a, a dump of snow. But we, we've definitely had snow. Okay. Not this. We had, we had like, uh, not- high levels of snow. And um, Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had snowpocalypse. They were very excited about it. We got <laughs> Snowmageddon, yes. Oh, my. <laughs> They're going to have to look up some more uh, phrases from the Bible <laughs> to make it sound scary. Well, I mean, I mean, when people when when they're not allowing driving on the roads and people people are literally dying in their cars, I think that kind of oh, justifies the snowpocalypse, the snowmageddon. I, I thought I, I thought, that point, you, I thought you said nine eleven. I was thinking Snow Eleven. <laughs> That's no. what they'll do. Snow Eleven. <laughs> you know, snow millions 11. of people. It on what you're huddling. Used to, right? Yeah. Um, I remember the year I was in Europe uh, for a semester. There was this whole thing about this heat wave that was killing all these people. Mm-hmm. Like it got up to eighty degrees, and a hundred people died in France. Like at eighty degrees, what wow. is going on here? That's um, and it was just they didn't have air conditioning. No one had air conditioning because yeah. it was. A- they, they had that in the summer for the UK yeah. too, right? Uh, they were saying how how it was just nobody there has air conditioning, 
And <clears throat> I mean, I, I mean, there's not a lot of air conditioning in Vietnam either, but people. But the architecture designed. Yes, for they designed. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of, lots of fans you know, everywhere. But still, it was it was, it was still ceilings. hot. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one of my friends who was there at the same time got heat stroke. So you know. Wow. It can certainly happen, but a lot of it's what you're used to, and yeah, it was a little bit of a culture shock. Like, what? What? It's December and it's green and it's 85 degrees. What the heck is this sorcery? So, uh, so what? 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 What about outside the museums? Did you find uh, yourself enjoying the food? Did uh, oh, I really people I bump into you with their cars? What? What happened? I, I ate too much food. Okay. Um and there were uh, hardly any cars, right? Um. The Bicycles. Ho Chi Minh City, aka Saigon, is full of motorcycles. There are millions of motorcycles, and they drive insanely. About the only traffic rule they obey, apparently, is wearing a helmet. Otherwise, they don't obey traffic rules. There are not a lot of stoplights, so crossing the street is always an adventure. You just gotta <laughs> go for it and hope they will stop. All I those swear to, swear years of Frogger practice have helped you. Um, um, yeah, Sean used the same thing. Yeah, you just got to do it like Frogger. Um, it's like, yeah. And so I tried it on my own. Like, yeah, I'm going to have to do Frogger. Great. Um, so yeah, so, um, the people I met were relatively friendly. I mean, they like Western dollars. Um, it was, um, the, um, it was, it was, a, it was a, Vibrant city. I mean, it's like the city it never a city it never sees. There's like 11 million people in Ho Chi Minh City, so it's, it's the largest city. city I've, I've it's the largest city I've been in in quite some time. So always busy, always always full of activity. Yeah, it's it it it, it, it was um an intense experience. I I I, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I would go back to Ho Chi Minh City. There are other places in Vietnam I might want to go mm -hmm. to, like say Halong Bay, for example, or the uh, ancient city of Huey to see the uh, ancient uh, ancient imperial court or something like that. I mean, Ho Chi Minh City just is a lot to take in. It's just mm -hmm. like it, it is not is not for peace and quiet by any means. I like the Mekong Delta, which I got to go to, which was very tropical. Getting, that that was that was like okay now I'm really in the jungle here, um, so that was fine. I went to the Chuchi tunnels, which you know the Ustavia Kong used, and they are very proud of having used those tunnels to defeat the imperialist Americans. Um, and even got to crawl through a tunnel. Um, for, <laughs> Did for you have a meters. pistol in one hand and a flashlight in the other? No, I had, okay. I had my I had my camera bag, but and I was hunched over, and at some points I had to get on my get on my back. But yeah. And they, they, but they had tunnels every 20 meters that you could wimp out on. I was not going to wimp out on. I was going to do it if it was going to kill me. Um, <laughs> so I did it. Nice. So I did not, I did not um, spend $20 to shoot a gun. I could have. Yeah. They had a, they had a firing range. You could, you could shoot an AK-47 or mm -hmm. There's what have you. There's an RPG as well, is my understanding. You can um, so I decided no. Two hundred box or something. I fired an AK forty seven. I have never fired an RPG. Mm, you have to pay I, extra. I didn't see RPGs. I, I say AK forty sevens and other arms like that. But like even just the sound of it, I am not a gun person, Jesse. But I think you knew that, so I was like, yeah, I don't need to go fire an AK forty seven. That's an experience. Not you might become. It's a an gun experience, person. but it's, <laughs> it's not I a, think it's kind of fun, but uh, it's. Like firing a, a, a handgun or anything like that, you know, things go bang and that's kind of fun. But it's like fireworks, except more not dangerous. a transcendent yeah. experience for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
got expensive lately. Ammo got real expensive. Yeah, um, yeah, ammo has gotten expensive, um, which I'm not sad about. But you know, um, what else can I tell you? This, this um, I took the wa- attitude I t- of the people there, uh, Paul. Were they thanks for bringing your tourist money? Were they we hate you forever? Were they thanks? You know, we beat you 50 years ago, so we can be generous in victory. They were like, oh yeah, yes, we beat out the Americans, but thank you for bringing your tourist dollars and. Sort of thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we we kicked, we kicked you out of Vietnam, but we're happy to take your tourist dollars and uh, have you come to our country. Um, mm-hmm. My 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 friend's wife's family was nothing but generous and open and welcoming me into their home. Yeah. Or and, do they yeah, live there? there? Is that I thought it was like a. Uh, uh, no, Sean's everybody... wife was the, no, Sean's not wife a destination wedding. No, oh, okay. no, not a destination wedding. All no, right, Sean's wife lives there. So I see. So yeah. So no, no. So I had I had no. Uh, I mean, aside from when occasionally a guy would get a little pointed about um, kicking out the Americans, so yeah, I had no uh, social. And, of, and how old the, um, is this person who's, who's saying this? Is it like a twelve year old or when somebody in his sixties? If people are getting upset about uh, the guide, the guy. Oh, he, oh, he was in his he was in his twenties. <laughs> so he'd grown up entirely. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Hearing the stories. Entirely free of the Imperialist Americans. Um, yeah. Which is, which is fine. Um, kind of like someone in the South growing up being taught by generations about the damn Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we, we are. I am the damn Yankee. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, fa- it's a fascinating country. I wonder, I wonder how long they'll keep the name Ho Chi Minh City. Because well, the, 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 what, what, well, that's the funny thing is that's the official name, but lots of people use that god. Yeah, and and all the words. I mean, it is the official name of the city. It's named after it's named after the national hero. There's a statue of the guy in front of the city hall. Mm-hmm. But lots of people call it Saigon. But Lord Trafalgar Nelson isn't isn't got a city named after him. Trafalgar no. Square, right? At some point, two thousand years from now, I, d- I doubt they'll still call it Ho Chi Minh City. I think they'll probably just revert back to the original, like St. Petersburg or whatever. Maybe don't know. I mean, St. Petersburg took the fall of communism in like a really big public way, and they're like, we're mm-hmm. gonna get rid of Stalin and Lenin's names on these cities that are you know very old and have history to them. Yeah, that, nothing similar has happened to Vietnam. I don't think no, there's yeah, going to be Ho inertia Chi- to make yeah, that happen. Yeah, no, but. Is- but not seen eventually, as a communist hero. He's seen as a yeah, libera- as a national liberator. liberator. Of course, so, but so, so even so, with a country that old, you know, it wasn't like it was Ho Chi Minh City for two thousand years. And then Americans came in and changed it to Saigon for two thousand years, right? So at some no, point, no, no, so, they're going to probably Saigon say, you know what, good. you know, he was a great guy and everything, but it, you, it, the city of London hasn't hasn't changed its name to Trafalgar or. Uh, you know, Lord Nelson, Churchill, Churchill. Yeah, see, there, there'd be a good example. Yeah, something like that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see what happens. But yeah, but in common parlance, it's Saigon. So it's okay. like, what's I the mean, what's so, the uh, you know the airport code? Um, do you know SGN? So, so yeah. <laughs> that tells you, <laughs> well, we're not really serious. It's an honorific. It'll be around for a couple hundred years at most, and then 
and then we'll be <laughs> back to uh, just being regular Viet- Vietnam. And, you know, he'll be a hero, but he won't be. Like, because if you look around the world, right, uh, the places that get their names, where they get their names, they tend to stick, right? And there are, there are counterexamples, Byzantium and Constantinople and Istanbul, right? Um, and it has other names, too. Miklagard, <laughs> right? It has other names. But what one is going to stick I don't think they're going to revert back to uh, Byzantium, but they might revert back to Constantinople. But I don't um, think so. Not re- uh, not anytime soon. I mean, had the Greeks managed to conquer well, way off way off things? Had the Greeks managed to reconquer Istanbul back at the end of the end of the First World War, beginning of the Second World War? Yeah, I think they would have renamed the city. Yeah, if they had taken it from the Turks, I think that I think that's probably a given. But. Mm. But, you know, it's been Istanbul since 1453. Speaking of which, I've been watching one of those weird quasi-documentaries on Netflix again. Mm-hmm. They have these weird quasi-documentaries, which are half documentary, half... Drama? I half hate those. Drama. I hate those. Yeah, and, and, and now they have a new season of... The, they, did the, they did the fall of Constantinople. Now they're doing the second season of that one, which is basically Mehmet versus Vlad, as in Vlad Dracula. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's... The acting isn't great... No, it's they never very, are. It's a, it's a very strange mix of oh, we'll have we'll have this dramatic scene, and then we will have to talk to historians about what's happening. It's it's such a stupid idea because they say you know we're going to have all the drama of the drama, and then we're going to all have the, the seriousness and depth of the and it, what happens they end up doing it's neither. cheap content. Netflix it, it, needs it, hours to fill up their it roster. Yeah, it's, 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 it, it. it's a it's a very weird boat carved thing. I would I mean, rather I have a guy so- sitting in a chair telling you what's going. <laughs> than seeing a bunch of actors are, and even if the actors are good or their lines are good, you know the 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 set dressing and the epicness of the scene isn't good. And then even if you know you say well, go in all either one right, and it never works. I don't know why. It's a very it's a very strange concept. I don't think it works as well as they'd like it to. But it you know, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right, Alex. It just fills up content. But you know, I was eating, I was eating food and was bored and didn't want to read. So that I put this, I put this like, oh, look, look at this thing is recommended for me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, and it's like I would like to actually read a book on the subject better. But you know, in the meantime, I could I could watch this with a bemusement. But it's not something you can't, critical. You can't read a book while you're working on your photos or whatever. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, can, I can play with photos, watch this thing, listen to the listen to this stuff, and yeah. you know, poke, I'm not, poke at the. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying we. No, we must. Uh, we uh, need, uh, we need to demand better content. I'm not recommending is what I'm it to you. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, welcome to the universe. You know, I've been rewatching uh, something I probably saw a long time ago. It's the Arthur C. Clarke um, Mysterious World. Arthur C. Yeah, Clarke. So you tweeted about that. Yeah. yeah. And what's kind interesting. Of, kind of like I'm in search of sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. Uh, we talked about it on a podcast like six months ago, and I was like, I'm not sure I'm remembering this right. Because whoever I was talking to, I think it, it might have been Scott even. Um, obviously, that wouldn't have been on that po- podcast. But. Um, it was like um, he was kind of woo-woo was sort of the takeaway. And I'm like, Arthur C. Clarke kind of woo-woo? I don't think so. But that's what the show is basically the premise is. It's like here are these weird phenomena like raining frogs or whatever. And that's what the all the show – there's like three series and I'm almost done the second series. 
And that's what the shows are really about. It's like, here are these weird phenomena. And these are, you know, from the files of Arthur C. Clarke. So he's very interested in it. But but the takeaway is basically none of this is real. Or if it is, like Ball Lightning, that's one of the ones like, that seems to be pretty real. Uh, but how do we explain it? We can't really. But it, that's what the show is about. So uh, thinking of it like as a... Uh, it's like he had James Randi as one of the guys, um, doing dowsing, um, uh, you know, doing a contest on dowsing and, uh, Arthur C. Clarke had some sharp words for uh, James Randi sort of mixing two, two problems and getting the results mixed. Basically they doused for water and then they doused for, for metals and, uh, they did badly on both, but, uh, for the metals they did. Um, terrible, you know, no worse than chance. But for the water, they did much like much better. And and then there were some other experiments uh, with um, water and uh, uh, wire wire under the ground um, and dowsing, and like the results were actually fairly interesting. Um, and it, the theory is like uh, holding a metal rod in your hand, your body is conductive. Um, the, this uh, environment around you is, um, magnetic, right? Just, just like the earth. And, um, so holding a metal rod in your hand while walking over electrical lines or even just, uh, coat hangers under the snow, uh, yields fairly interesting results. Not ones that are consistent for everybody, but like over the pattern, it's like, oh, that's fairly interesting. Um, and a lot of the things are widely reported, like um, uh, people getting messages from loved ones who are in pain uh, on other parts of the planet and stuff like that. I, and I'm like, I didn't believe this stuff, but I remember one of my uh, philosophy profs, he was saying uh, in a private conversation when his brother was dying uh, that he woke up in the middle of the night and he heard his brother calling his name. And when he called in the morning, um, his brother had died. And he's like, I don't know what it means. <laughs> it's just something that happened. It makes me wonder. And I'm like, yeah, but is it coincidence? Or like, was your brother sick? Or, um, if you do, if you do like a, a lot of rigorous testing on this stuff, it mostly doesn't yield great results. But every once in a while, there's like, oh, there's some sort of hint of something there. And the ones that are, I agree with Arthur C. Clarke, the ones that are, are the weirdest are the the hailing of livestock <laughs> or the hailing of, um, of uh, nuts and seeds. And I'm like, that is really hard to explain. Like, the theory that it's a whirlwind that suddenly, you know, went into a pond and pulled... <laughs> Pulled up all the fish, but it's only one kind of fish. Uh, you know, that seems kind of weird. I can't explain it. <laughs> the world is stranger than we can imagine, Jesse. You know. <laughs> oh, well, let's. let's we ready try to and... talk about? Hey, let's use fantasy now. Let's get yes, to it. Thank all you. Right. Nice. All right, here we go. Let me get. Let me get my recorder going. <clears throat> yeah. Just in case. Yeah, I. I... I went looking for a file. I was asking Trish about it. Um, yeah, sorry, it's I completely didn't have gone. 
Um, like it doesn't exist. I can't even remember the show. Um, let me. It's, it was the um, the thing in the woods. The thing in the woods. Yeah. For some reason, that one just does not exist. That recording. Well, I'm sorry about that. I enjoyed reading the book and discussing it. Yeah, it's um, kind of unfortunate. I guess you could put it back on the list. But, no, no, no. Uh, it's not that good a book. Was, it, was that one I was not on? Yeah, you weren't there, I think. Um, I think oh, you were on right. vacation. Right. Uh, that was the horror book by the future author of The Velveteen Rabbit. Indeed. Which is also a horror book, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I read um. it. <laughs> It's Cora, Evan, and Trish, but I think Evan wasn't there. So, it was Trish, Cora, and me. All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, Jesse, Paul, uh, Trish, Alex, is that right, Paul? Uh, let me check. Make sure I'm absolutely sure. That's a good question. Well, we Trish can't, has we, been on a, we can't check Trish the has been old, on a bunch lately. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, uh, yeah, the we new can't. Uh, fix on the... Thing doesn't list the people's. Yeah. So we'll just. Go I mean, with that. I mean, we. Yeah, we'll go. With, we'll go. With, go with that and uh, call the. Call Jesse, the victory. Paul, Trish, Alex. Okay. Al- yeah, Trish has got like 30, 30 some odds. So, Sounds yeah. right. I'm, I think I'm less than fifteen. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yep. So yep. So you're well ahead, Trish. All right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, wait. What happened to my Wikipedia entry for this book? Oh, there it is. Got it. Here we go. Bring my mic down a bit. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sff audio